Hello, everybody, and welcome back to High School Not So Much a Musical, the podcast made by high schoolers for high schoolers. Today, we have joined with us Maestra Myra, otherwise known as Ayushanai's Spanish teacher. And because this month is Hispanic Heritage Month, we thought that we would speak with Maestra Myra about Hispanic Heritage Month, why it's important, and everything like that. So, obviously, as Spanish students, we know that Hispanic Heritage Month is really important. But for everyone who has either just heard about heard about it or is another world language student, could you please describe what Heritage Month is, the meaning behind it, and some of the common festivities? So Hispanic Heritage Month is just a celebration to those Americans that parents are from any Latin American country, including also Europe, um, Spain. It's celebrated from the 15th of September all the way to October 15th. And they chose that date because of the anniversary of the independence of a lot of the Latin American countries like Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, and others. And in September, we have 16th and 18th, the independence of Mexico and Chile. So we honor and we respect and we teach about um, Hispanic uh, heritage to the students so they know that the parents are from any country in, in Latin America, but their kids, even when they're born here in America, they're proud to be Hispanic as well. And all of them have contributed to the United States in one way or another. Yeah, I can relate to that. And also, the reason the United States people say it's like a beacon of freedom around the world is because like of the diversity of cultures that goes on here, right? Like, uh, I think New York is called like the big melting pot because, for example, back in like the 1900s, when there was a massive increase in immigration into New York and people were fleeing like communist regimes in Eastern Europe, they all went through this like island on the coast of New York called like Ellis Island. And they came to New York in the millions and that led to like a massive increase in diversity in New York that ended up shaping a lot of like the different cultures you see there. So America, celebrating diversity in America is incredibly important. And that's one of the reasons that I think Hispanic Heritage Month is so important because you're celebrating a different culture in the United States and the in the contributions that that culture has made to the United States. So that's just my opinion on why Hispanic Heritage Month is so important. Could you talk about some of the reasons that you think Hispanic Heritage Month is important and why it should be celebrated? Sure. Um, we have a lot of, of known singers and actors, and I'm totally sure that most of the people know Jennifer Lopez and Mark Anthony, in which I'm really proud to say they come from Puerto Rico. So they're from my island. And they contributed to United States, and a lot of um, people know their songs. And if you didn't know, they were married before. Also, we have like players. We have Roberto Clemente, who was a professional baseball player, in which um, was the first Caribbean and Latin American um, player. And he made it all the way to the major leagues and to the Hall of Fame in 1973. Um, if we go here in California, where we live right now, 
Um, we have um, a lot of Mexicans and we have Cesar Chavez who was really, really known because of American labor leader in which helped a lot of, of the immigrants from Mexico in which come to California to um, collect all the products like strawberries and almonds and work that other people did not want to do. They were able to do it and we were able to eat those delicious fruits and vegetables um, that probably we will not have it here in California and it should be uh, imported from other countries. Also, we have um, Sonia Sotomayor, that it was the third woman to hold the position of associate justice. That's um, very important. And she was born in New York, but her parents were Puerto Rican. And as you said before, um, New York, where all the diversity are, my family, my grandparents moved from Puerto Rico to New York in which um, a lot in the Bronx and Brooklyn, there's so many uh, markets in which represent the culture. And even when the kids were born in the United States in New York, you can see them showing their flags to be proud of being um, Latin American, right? And also an American and be um, productive in this country that we all love. I think that this is a really important thing because when you think of Hispanic, there's a lot of stuff around us that you don't really see because um, there's this one TV show on Netflix, which I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners know about one day at a time in which Rita Moreno was is the grandma who plays in it. And just like Ayush was saying, her parents also fled um, one of the Hispanic countries for a better life in New York. And that's where she learned about uh, dance. That's where she learned acting. And she was in the famous movie uh, West Side Story. And she was the first Hispanic uh, Academy Award winner. And being a female at the time, it was also a really great achievement. And I know you should... she was like the first one to win, it, win an Oscar too. Yeah, she was the first one to win an Oscar and Emmy. So I'm pretty sure Ayush remembers this. And um, uh, last year we had a project in Spanish called Personaje Interesante about an interesting person. So I did mine about Rita Moreno. It's really interesting how many, many Hispanic people with heritage came to the U.S. and really set the ground for all the types of TV shows and stuff that we see today. And uh, one of our new co-hosts, uh, Rishi Sinha, who's a, a sophomore right now, has a next question to ask. So go ahead, Rishi. Yeah. So as you were talking about like different communities and states in America that have like a large Hispanic influence, um, like the question I wanted to ask you is, are there any ways in that people in their own communities, any festivals that people can attend to or events that they can go to to celebrate and participate in Hispanic Heritage Month? I know that in San Francisco, they have a parade. Um, I can't remember if it's gonna be tomorrow, but I know that San Francisco um, celebrated in a way that they really, really recognize um, their, their work in, in California. Um, I'm honestly, I'm not aware of any other as of right now, but I believe that we all can Google it really quick and then we can find where they can go to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. 
So while one of us does that, I have a really quick question. So you were talking about parades and obviously parades and decorations. And um, this year in class, we made paper flowers uh, as one of the activities. And we were in charge of doing, uh, you uh, started the project where we were doing a lot of decorations around the school and the bulletin boards. So could you talk about your thought process while designing the bulletin boards, how you plan them out, and if there's any other activities that people can try out and try next year for Hispanic Heritage Month? So this year, what we decided to do was just the face, and we chose um, Frida Kahlo, and we chose her because of her face. Um, the bulletin board, it doesn't have her eyes, but it has her eyebrows, in which everybody that see those eyebrows remember Frida Kahlo. Um, it was just the time to spend with the students to make uh, flowers of papel picado, right? And when they do it, it just for them to learn a little bit more of another culture, right? And um, the purpose of it is students can recognize that face and they will be curious to just read what was in the bulletin board and see that a lot of the people that were there represented there, they already knew, but they didn't know that they were part of Hispanics. And that was really amazing where all the students start asking questions that are not in the Spanish class. Things that they can do, and we're gonna celebrate tomorrow. And um, it's about eating Mexican, Mexican food, right? And I wanna know, um, Nitin or Aush or Rishi, have you tasted like authentic? Mexican food or any authentic Hispanic food that you can tell me about it? I don't think that. I mean, if like if, if, us... if cheese and chicken quesadillas counts, then yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll normally eat at the Mexican food trucks, like the yeah. had like Hispanic cuisine yeah. <laughs> food trucks, like a couple of weeks ago in school. So they were they were good. Like, or for me, my favorite dish is um, the cinnamon one, the milk. Uh, what, what's it called? Orchata. Yeah, orchata. That one's really good. So. Okay, my favorite one is um, that one too, orchata, right? They have like a little bit of, of rice and, and cinnamon at the bottom. Also, when you taste like the quesadilla, can you tell me if that is similar to any other food, even when it is not Hispanic? I feel like this is something that I personally can't think of anything because... The closest thing I can relate to is like a dosa, which is sort of like a South Indian dish in which it's it's like um, a really thin paste of uh, like this batter made out of rice. And then they put potato filling inside and you eat it with um, chutney, which is like the Indian version of a salsa almost. So Ayush, do you have anything else that kind of reminds you of a quesadilla? Nothing. I, I mean, okay, so basically, if anyone knows what parantas are, they're like kind of Indian, Indian bread essentially. They're if 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 anyone has had naan, it's kind of like a healthier version of naan, and like sometimes you can put cheese inside it, and that kind of becomes like a cheese paranta. It's it's like a quesadilla, a little bit. For me, there's like I can't really think of anything that is similar to that. But one of the main things, like, like one reason I like love like quesadillas from like an authentic Hispanic restaurant or cuisine, 
is that the sides that they give you. So they'll give you like guacamole or pico de gallo. Like it's a lot better like if you were instead of going to like an American restaurant trying to replicate a Hispanic cuisine or a Mexican cuisine. They'll just give you like quesadilla with like lots lots of cheese. But like if like for example our food trucks they were like really good. They give you like sour cream, lots of guacamole, lots of pico de gallo. And I want to give a tip. If you really uh, speak Spanish and order food in Spanish, when you go to an authentic restaurant, like any taqueria, I promise you that you're going to get more food than if you speak English. So if any of you have tried to ask in Spanish when you go to the food truck or even to Chipotle, have you ever tried to ask your food in Spanish? Uh, uh, no, but I actually like, I've been realizing the impact of this for like the past few years, which is that if you speak with somebody in a language that they're native to, like even like my mom does this a lot. If Whenever we go to an Indian restaurant, she always makes sure to like speak with the server in Hindi if they know Hindi. And I feel like it just helps connect with the person so much more because they're kind of like this person is very very similar to me whoever they're talking to and then they always give us better service so i i don't know why i don't try that at a hispanic like restaurant or food truck i feel like it could like help a lot i agree with that too it's totally true And I, I believe you that it happens with anybody. And if you notice that's something that that every culture, it doesn't matter if it is Hispanic, it doesn't matter if it is um, Indian, right? We all have in common. We all like to eat and food bring us together. I think that we're definitely going to see this tomorrow because um, for everybody who doesn't know, uh, Maestro Myra is uh, bringing food for all of us, which early thank you to you and um i think that this is a common thing because no matter what culture you're in there's something that brings everybody together so i have one question regarding that so before you celebrate hispanic heritage month that basis when you lived in puerto rico and taught is there any type of tradition or any like long lost memory that you can remember while celebrating hispanic heritage month and was that something that was technically a part of the culture there or was it more of something that happened all the time um because puerto rico is part of the united states right we did not celebrate hispanic heritage month but we did celebrate el dia de la raza so it's like the race right and we celebrate similar with food um students sing We have a lot of festival, they have a lot of craft in which they sell. And even when, when Hispanic Heritage um, Month has been since 1968, we never, I never um, lived that in Puerto Rico. We just did El Dia de la Raza. Um, it wasn't until I moved here to California in which I'm most likely Um, because of the diversity and because I am a Spanish teacher now, it's where I realized the importance of it. Yeah, that's super interesting. And if you could actually go a little bit more into depth about like your teaching career, like how you moved from Puerto Rico to here and then taught at the 
schools in Oakland for a couple days and then move to like other schools. I think that'd be great because you were talking about it in uh, like class the other day and we thought it was a super interesting story. I think our readers would love to hear about it. Well, I was um, recruited by Oakland Unified School District and that was in 2001. It was a really, I was really happy. Um, it was gonna be uh, elementary school. It was not gonna be high school like now that I'm teaching. But when I went, unfortunately, when I went to that school, I didn't think that it was gonna be a proper school for my, my student, my kids um, because of their, um, their neighborhood. The neighborhood was not secure. But then after that, um, I moved to the Bay Area and um, I taught in public school and now in, in even in Catholic school and now in independent school. And it was very interesting when I was in Cesar Chavez Academy in East Palo Alto, how I learned about all the things that a lot of the immigrants go through in order to come to United States to get a better life for their kids. And I remember my first experience on eating a tamal that is a really, really good, uh, delicious um, food from Mexico that I ate it with part of the uh, leaves that they made it with, with corn leaves. And I was like, the students even, I, I laugh at myself, right? Because I didn't know that I needed to open it, right? So um, we laugh and we have fun, but I started learning about all the cultures, not only Puerto Rico, right? Because being in Puerto Rico and being part of the United States is a lot of things that we adopt from the United States. But moving to California, it opened my eyes of how diversity it is. And now in basis also um, how diversity all the students are and how much we can learn to different um, cultures. So I like what you said about immigrants, and I know that Ayush and I read this book last year, and, and Rishi's reading is going to read it this year. There's a story called Cajas de Carton, which is basically about Francisco, who is this little boy. I think he's nine years old when he crosses the uh, U.S. border illegally with his whole family, and it just kind of talks about how difficult their life is because they have to move every season from a different farm, and they have to find different types of housing, and they're always scared of what the book refers to as La Migra, who are the immigration officers. It's like ICE nowadays. And it was just a really eye-opening book into how difficult the life of immigrants was at the time and how hard they worked and why their how their story is like not told very often. So that Ayush can vouch for me and say that it was a really interesting book and it was also challenging at the same time because reading a book in a different language in itself is really difficult and trying to understand the emotion that Francisco was trying to portray. And it was a real life account because the person who wrote the book is still alive and he was writing about his life. So Rishi, I think that you have the next question. So go ahead. Yeah, so you were talking about your childhood a lot and probably the most famous and well-known tradition or festival is El Dia de los Muertos or the Day of the Dead. And um, Hispanic Heritage Month, it's ending October 15th. And I'll be like Dia de los Muertos, it's around early November. So I want to know if you could talk about some of the traditions and what um, children could do to participate in El Dia de los Muertos. El Dia de los Muertos is a good time to celebrate whoever um, has passed. 
um, and honor their lives. And a way to do it, a lot of students make, um, or kids made altars in which they just represent them putting pictures and just remembering stories about that person that has passed away. Um, another thing is just eating something that that person liked. Um, El Dia de los Muertos is celebrated um, in some countries October 31st, and then in other countries the 1st and the 2nd of November. But we try to do it in a way that is not a sad moment for the family, and it is a joyful um, moment because we got the opportunity to get to know that person and we have all the memories of that person. So for example, my grandpa, in which I adore, it's still adore, and I have so much memories of him um, of just bringing off candy or just um, passing lawnmower. And those are things that even that he passed away, it's gonna be 20 years already, we're still talking about him. And I would like everybody to just get that time, even that if it is not part of your culture, just take that part, that time, November 1st and November 2nd, to remembering those that passed away and just, just bring any memories and share your story with someone else. Yeah, so you mentioned altars. And last year in my class, we had to build an altar for the Day of the Dead, and I made it for my great-grandfather. And it's like really eye-opening and I feel like it's really beneficial to all children because I was able to learn a lot about my grand, my great-grandfather who I didn't really know much about like his hobbies. Like obviously my parents were really close with him, but I was never really close with him as like, you know, he was in India at the time. But it was really nice because I would get to know more about him, like his hobbies, for example. And also just building the altar in general was like a really beautiful experience because all the different colors, flowers, fruits, drinks, stuff like that. So uh, I'm going to pass it on to Ayusha right now, who has another question. Yeah, I didn't even know the name of my great-grandfather before I like actually researched into him and talked with my parents about him for, for the project. So I, I think the project helped me learn a lot. But anyway, I wanted to talk kind of about like the relationship between Halloween and Del Dia, Del Dia de los Muertos, because I feel like the decorations are somewhat similar like for example a lot of people like dress up as skeletons or like some like horror movie like main characters during halloween and there's a, at least in like coco a lot of the decorations revolved around skeletons but i mean that could also just be because like miguel was actually in the land of the dead so i was wondering if you could talk about like some of the similarities and differences between Halloween and Del Dia de los Muertos and like how they kind of like feedback off of each other. You say a word really important there and you use <clears throat> horror, right? That that it's to be scared. And El Dia de los Muertos is not to be scared. It's just to celebrate, right? And the difference is that we go out on Halloween, the October 31st, and we go out and we go trick or treat, or we just put any kind of uh, customs and just try to do whatever the, the person we try to imitate. And once that's over, that's the end of it. But when we have um, El Dia de los Muertos, if you start the 31st, you have those three days in which you have a time to reflect of those that were in your life 
or like you say, you didn't know your great-grandparents, right? But then at least you investigate about them. And then it brings you closer, not only to the family, but it brings you closer to your culture. And then probably there's a lot of things that you might discover that that's why the way you are, or that's why the way you look. Because not that your mom and your dad are probably um, your great-grandparents or even your grandparents, if you didn't get the chance to know them. But I don't think that um, at all El Dia de los Muertos and Halloween can be compared because the significance of El Dia de los Muertos is more about loving and just remembering those ones that were in our life when the other one is just to go out, um, have candy and then just have fun and that's it. Even that El Dia de los Muertos is a, a happy time to remember um, your loved ones. So you said that some countries still start El Dia de los Muertos on October 31st and in some other countries they might start like early November like the first or the second. So in the countries where they'll start on the 31st is the main priority of the children going to be like um, to celebrate Halloween or would it be to celebrate El Dia de los Muertos? You have to remember that Halloween is United States. It's celebrated more in United States, right? Um, in other countries, it's called like El Dia de las Brujas, but not all the, the Hispanic countries celebrate Halloween. And that's the difference. Um, for us in Puerto Rico, we did celebrate it and we just celebrate El Dia de los Muertos on November 1st and the 2nd. So, So I remember you were talking about uh, skulls in particular. I remember in eighth grade, we did this activity with sugar skulls where um, Senorita Duran, who was my eighth grade and uh, 10th grade Spanish teacher, she had us buy all the materials, learn how to create the sugar skull, paint it in class, and it was a lot of fun. So is there any significance behind creating the sugar skull in particular? Or do you think it's just more of a way for Spanish students to learn more about the meaning behind the sugar skull? I think it's more um, about the meaning and the taking that time because when you are doing it, not just to learn the culture, but when you're doing it because it's part of your culture, while you're doing the sugar skull, you're talking about the family. And when we do it at school, it's just gonna be just for you to know this is a tradition that they make. But when they're doing it in Mexico, when they're doing it in Venezuela, they do it because um, that's the time to share with the family. That's where all the stories are gonna come up. That's what I'm gonna um, tell about my grandparents. So that's where an uncle is getting to the family and is, is getting more information about another member of the family. So it's more as a family and remember all the things that had happened, not just for fun, like when we do it in the classroom. I don't know if I, I make that a little bit clear. I feel like a lot of these projects are like super helpful too, because they kind of show you like deeper significance beyond just a simple decoration, right? Like if somebody just, if you just pick somebody off of the street and tell them to look at the skull, they're not going to know what it means. But when you actually design it yourself and like the teacher tells you about its significance, then you have a much deeper understanding of what exactly it represents in the tradition or in the holiday. So um, 
Could you talk a little bit about other decorations that you feel have like a greater significance? Like we talked about the sugar skulls, we talked about uh, like the altars, and also like we talked about like the project we did this year in Spanish, where it was like pick a significant historical like a Hispanic figure and kind of make a one pager poster sort of thing about them. So uh, could you talk about some other decorations that you feel are signif signify um, Hispanic heritage? Um, I think that uh, one thing that uh, a lot of Mexicans do, and it, it's not just for decoration, they can eat it as well, is pan de muerto. So pan de muerto is just a bread and that's made in November 1st and November 2nd. And it's just to celebrate a celebration on, on those days, right? And they put it on the altar. And it's just, it serves like, like um, decorations, but at the same time, um, they make different shapes. So some, some of those shapes are like angels that represent like the soul of the person. And other ones are like animals. And sometimes the animals are representative of the pets that um, kids or the family, the family had. And it's not hard to do. And you're gonna be tasting one on November 1st as well. And it's something that they do it with a meaning as well, because an angel represents, right, that they're gonna be in another world. And in just having a pet, it represents that even that, that, that animal, that form of the animal is not there physical, but they still remembering that. Another thing is like papel picado in which they give different shapes and the colors. And I'm totally sure you guys have done papel picado with different shapes and they use it for decorations. And as we mentioned before, everything is colorful. There's nothing like black. There's nothing to be sad of. So everything has to be colorful. So we're almost at the 30 minute mark. And one thing that we is like a staple of our podcast is the tips question. And just to sum it up for everybody listening, it this podcast, just this specific episode just shows how common our cultures really are. Even though we're separated by so many things, we can all come together to celebrate a culture. And Maya Sermaira, one of the things that we do is we just ask for you to give advice to anybody watching, whether it be about how to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month, how to um, learn a world language. So just any general advice that you have for, for our listeners that you have a unique perspective on. I think that not only for Hispanic Heritage Month, but for different occasions, it's good to remember those that have been in our families and get to know about other different cultures. And it's always good to know about different cultures because um, we never know where we're going to end up. And like we say before, everything comes together. It doesn't matter from where you are you're always gonna have something in common with somebody else. In, in referring about Hispanic Heritage Month, just look around and see just uh, how is your 
or from where is your favorite actor? From where is your favorite singer? What is the food that you like and from where it came from? Check the packages of when you go to the supermarket and see from where it's coming from, right? Because probably it doesn't come from the country that you are. It might come from Venezuela or Costa Rica. And there's a lot of things that during this time and during the rest of the year, you can do and see how not only Hispanic, but other cultures have contributed to the United States. So thank you so much, Maestra Myra. I know that I learned a lot and hopefully our listeners did as well. So for everybody watching, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of High School, Not So Much a Musical. And a big thank you to Maestra Myra once again. And hopefully you take you make the best of the last day of Hispanic Heritage Month and you'll be hearing this on the last day of Hispanic Heritage Month. So thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of High School Not So Much a Musical. And a big thank you to Maestra Myra once again. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal, Nitin Jaladanki, and Rishi Sinha. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from The Relax Guys, Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like this show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you for listening and see you next time.